Now, we are in the fifth sermon in the sermon series called The Generous Life. Everybody shout out The Generous Life. Come on, shout it out. The Generous Life. How many wants to be a generous Christian? Nobody wants to be selfish, right? <laughs> Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. If you don't have it, it'll be behind me. And uh, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, all right? And uh, 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians, all right? Verse number 1. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Now look at it, verse number three. But I'm sending these brothers to be sure that you, are re you really are ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want you to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about this or else I would be embarrassed, not to mention my own embarrassment. If some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you, wasn't, you weren't ready after all that I've told them. So I thought that I would send these brothers ahead of you, uh, ahead of me, to make sure that the gift you promised is ready. But I want you to give a willing gift, uh, one grudgingly. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a, few, uh, a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Not reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered for ever. Amen. Verse number 10, for God is the one who uh, provides the seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, and then you'll produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So just for a few moments, we're talking about generosity. Lord, add the blessing to the preaching of the word, and everyone shouted a great big amen. Uh, money, generosity. Um, Especially if you look at the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. There's at least 500 scriptures in the New Testament that deals with money, and there are at least 2,500 scriptures in the Bible that deals with money and possessions. In the Gospels alone, one out of ten verses in the Gospels deal with managing money. This is a very important topic. Some preachers don't want to talk about it, but it's important that we talk about it because you are a growing believer and you should have an attitude of growth. Because I believe that the way that you handle your money really does reveal a whole lot about you. Money really does matter to God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus was very clear about this. He said, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other or you will be loyal to the one or despise the other, but you cannot serve God and mammon, or that's an old English word which means money. Jesus was very clear that you are either pursuing God or you are pursuing money. You are either going after gold or you're going after God. 
Did you hear me? You're either going after one of them and you, and one of them is competing for the throne of your heart. One of them wants to sit on the throne of your heart. You see, the scripture is clear that money in your heart, there's a direct uh, correlation between money and the heart. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 21, Jesus was clear. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jesus said that there is a connection between your heart and there is a connection between your head. Uh, excuse, your heart and your money, excuse me. And so if you want to know where your heart is, you got to know where the money is. you got to follow the money trail. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul was very clear. He said, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. That's a great perspective right there. You carry nothing in this world, and you're going to carry nothing out of this world. The Bible says in verse number 8, the Apostle Paul went on and said, having food and clothing, you should be content with these things. He goes on to say to these believers, especially Timothy, he says, for those who desire to be rich fall into the temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which draws men into destruction. Excuse me. Verse number 10, the Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the Apostle Paul said that many people have left the faith because of the love of money. You see, you've got to have the right perspective about money. You've got to understand that if you are pursuing after money, it's going to lead to destruction. If you're pursuing after money, it's not going to lead to true joy and true happiness. There's a happiness for a season, but if you pursue after money and you pursue after wealth and you pursue after material gain, then it's going to lead you down to a path that you so easily can't get out of. The love of money is the root of all evil. Somebody shout that with me. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is not money in itself. It is the love of money that's the root of all evil. Not money. It's the love of money. It's, 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 it's you pursuing after money. You see, you know what the issue is in our life? Really, it boils down to this. There is a danger in what I call misplaced love. There's a danger in it. Misplaced love. When you begin to put your love in the wrong places, that is when it becomes dangerous. No one should be your everything. No one should complete you but Jesus. Jesus is your everything. Jesus is your all. Jesus is the only one that can fulfill the deepest needs of your heart. And if you're running after somebody to think that they can fulfill all your needs, then you're sadly mistaken. Because the person that you think they could fulfill all your needs, they're flawed themselves. They have issues themselves. And there's only one person that can satisfy your soul. There's only one person that can satisfy the deepest needs of the human heart, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that sounds cliche. I know that sounds so simple. But Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy the, the heart of mankind. And when you start to place your love in other places, when you start to love a person or a thing more than you love God, then your love is misplaced, and that's when it becomes dangerous. And many people will run after money. And they'll go after money and they'll run after it because they think that money can solve all of their problems. It can solve some problems. I'm not going to lie about that. But it cannot solve the problem of the human heart. 
Now let me ask you a question. Are you honoring God with the way that you're handling money? You see, it really boils down to, are you honoring God with the way that you are handling money? Because if you're not honoring God with the way that you are handling money, then you're not a true disciple. Because a disciple really understands that everything I have really belongs to him. I own nothing. There are three different types of, of giving in the church. And many people are just dissatisfied with the church because they think all that church wants is my money. Well, you know, Walmart wants your money too, but that don't stop you from going. I mean, how do you think the lights are turned on here? How how, how do you think things are paid for? Of course it takes money to run things. But it's having the right perspective about the money. Now, there are three different types of giving. Number one, there is what I call guilt giving. Do you know what guilt giving is? Guilt giving is when somebody guilts you into giving money, if, if, especially in the church. If you don't give an X amount of money, then you're going to be cursed. How many has ever heard that before? You're going to be cursed if you don't give this money. If you don't give your tithe, you're cursed. And your washing machine is going to break down. And your car is going to break down. Come on, somebody say amen. I know what you're talking about. If you don't give this money, you're cursed. And I've been to those church services. Believe me. One time, <laughs> they, were, they were talking about guilt giving. And I was in a group of thousands of people. And they were really putting it on hot. And I was a Bible college student, Sandy. And I didn't have no money, honestly. I was working at McDonald's. But I wasn't ashamed to work. I was going to work and pay my school bill. Come on, somebody. So... So I didn't have any money, and they were putting it on. If you don't give, then you're not going to walk in the blessing of God. If you don't give, God's hand is going to be removed from you, and you're going to walk in a curse. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, help me. So you know what I did? I took my tie off. I said, I don't have no money to give, because the preacher was like, the preacher's up there, and they're like, if you don't got no money, then what? you just need to throw something up here. Now, that, this was a wild church service. So he's breaking in a sweat. And, you know, in the, in the emotionalism of the offering, I'm thinking, I don't want to be cursed. So you know what I did? I took my tie off and threw it. Because the preacher's like, the preacher got in there, he's like, there's a river flowing right here. And if you just plant your seed in the river, it's going to come back to your seven phone. I was like, so I took my tie off and threw it in the river. And then, and then there was, then I had about five other of my Bible college friends. Uh, Daisy's one of them, and Jennifer was one of them, and, and uh, Carmen, and Rudolfo, all my Hispanic friends, and they're all just jerking and shaking. <laughs> so my friend <laughs> took off his belt. <laughs> I was like, whoa, dude, this is church. <laughs> so he, he takes off his belt. He throws it in the river. <laughs> I take my tie off, and my friend Carmen, she's like, bless God, I'm going to get my harvest. So she throws her shoe in the river. I'm like, boy, if this ain't a wild Pentecostal church service, I don't know what is. But you know what was going on? We all felt guilty. I felt so guilty. I had $2 in my checking account, one service. I just gave the $2 in the offering. I, I just wrote a $2 check because I didn't want to be cursed. That's guilt giving. 
Then there's the gimmick giving. You know what gimmick giving is? You see those TV preachers. They'll have, they'll say, I got oil from the Holy Land, and if you give $7.18, because we're in the year 18, and 18's the number of beginning. And if you give $7.18, I'm going to give you some oil from the Jordan River. I'm going to give you some water from the Jordan River. <laughs> and so, and so, and then they have a prayer cloth. If you give $55.75, you know, because Isaiah 55 says he's going to bring you through the waters. He'll bring you through the fire. And if you plant Isaiah 55, you plant $55, you're going to get a blessing. And I've been in those church services. And I was like, Lord, I want some water from the Jordan. Lord, I want some oil from Gethsemane. We're just as worse than the Catholic Church. Kissing relics and bowing down to statues. Crazy Pentecostals. Gotta get water from the Jordan. Don't you be bashing the Catholics. The Catholics will line up for an hour to see a, a statue cry. We're just as bad. We'll go to church and say, boy, I see gold dust. I see feathers. The angel, the glory of God. You know what? If you really got the glory, then you should be generous and you should have a nice attitude to the waitress after church. You should treat, come on somebody. If you really got the glory of God. I am so tired of people saying they got the glory and at the same time their attitude, behavior, and relationships don't reflect their belief system. You got the glory, it's going to affect your behavior, your desires, your ambitions, and your relationships. Because the glory is just not a one-time feeling. It is a transformational presence of God where it transforms your life. To look like more like Jesus. So gimmick giving. How many remembers old Gene Scott? Gene Scott in the 1980s. Now in the 80s I was just a child. Eating my Fruit Loops. And watching Looney Tunes. So Pastor David I didn't really care about Gene Scott. But I, I think I was 8 years old. And I remember... One time, I didn't even know who this guy was, but he freaked me out. He was an angry preacher. He was a he was gimmick giving, angry. That wasn't cheerful at all. But see, that's the impression that the church has, or the world has of the church. Mean, angry. I want your money. Give it to me. Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't give it to me, you're going to burn in hell. I mean, that's, that's the impression we have given to the world. And it's no wonder people are like, you know what, I just don't, I'm just not going to go to church because all they want is my money. But you know what, church, I think there is guilt giving, there is gimmick giving. Everybody say guilt giving. There's gimmick giving. And then there is graceful giving. 
Huh. Somebody say guilt giving. Gimmick giving. Graceful giving. So I'm going to take just a few moments to teach you what is the biblical way of giving. How many would like to know what is the biblical way of giving? Come on, how many would like to know what the biblical way of giving is? It is the graceful way of giving. Now, it's very important that you don't lose me because I'm going to say something that I think is very, very important that you get. The Bible records in John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says very clearly that there were two ways in which God dealt with man. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. Now let me just give you a history lesson very quickly. In the Old Testament, God would send prophets, judges, priests, religious leaders to guide His people. And one of the things that God did in the Old Testament was He established a system or a law system. Everybody shout law. And you had to do certain things, and if you did certain things, God would forgive you or approve of you. That is Old Testament. That is law. It was given to Moses, and Moses gave it to the people, and the people had to abide by it. There was like 600 laws. It was almost impossible to abide by all of them. I mean, you couldn't eat shrimp. You can't have different fabric of clothing. You couldn't, you couldn't eat on certain days. You had to celebrate on certain days. I mean, there are 600 and some laws. I mean, it's almost impossible to abide by it. But now, in the New Testament, we are under a covenant of grace. Somebody say grace. And now, it's not about us abiding by all the laws and commandments. It's about an issue of the heart now. So it's grace. So there are two ways that God dealt with man. First, everybody shout the law, and everybody shout grace. Where are we at as a church? We're in grace, right? The law was given to Moses, and they had to abide by that, and salvation was obviously through the keeping of the law. Now, the reason that I'm telling you this is because we're going to deal with tithing in just a moment. The question that i got to ask you as a Christian is am I, if I am under the covenant of grace, and if I am a Christian, then how many of the Mosaic laws must I obey in the Old Testament? Because if you go to the Old Testament, there's a lots and lots of laws. Do you have to abide by all those laws if you are a Christian and under the covenant of grace? For instance, can I eat shrimp? That was forbidden in the Old Testament. Can I eat bacon? And all the bacon lovers. Can I eat some ribs? And all the rib lovers. Come on, somebody. And do I have to tithe? Now hold on, y'all. Y'all, y'all, just hold on here. Put your seatbelt on. Do I have to tithe? The Bible says in Matthew 5, now listen, Peter and John, Peter and Paul argued about this in Acts, remember? They were arguing, should a Gentile be circumcised? Why circumcision? It was part of the law. They got an argument over it. This has always been an issue. Do we have to obey all the laws of the Old Testament since we're under grace? Jesus comes along and says, Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says this to his disciples. He said, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I did not come to destroy, but to... He's, now, get this. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy everything that Moses gave the people. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to... I didn't come to destroy it. I came to... To what? Now, stop here. Pastor Brandon, come and stand right here. Just hold the water there. Thank you. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to... Now, get this. You see the word fulfill there? See that last word? It is the Greek word. Put put it up there. The meaning, the definition of the word fulfill means this. To fill to the brim, to elevate or feel to full, to magnify or to show its intent. So go back to the Scripture. The Scripture, please. Do not think that I've come to destroy. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy what Moses gave you. Why? Look at verse 18. Obviously Jesus didn't do it, because look what he said. For surely I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away, not one jot or tittle by no means will pass away till the law is fulfilled. So the law is still active. The law is still good. Jesus said, I'm not destroying, I'm not destroying the Old Testament. I am come to what? And what does the word fulfill mean? Put it back up there. To fill to the brim, to elevate, fill to full, to magnify. So Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy it, but I came to fulfill it to the brim. I come to elevate, I come to magnify what's already there. Now hold on. This is so powerful. Because what is Jesus trying to do? He says, I'm not destroying it. I'm, I'm elevating it. I'm filling it to the top. I am magnifying it. Because then Jesus says, get this, and I'm going to use Pastor Brandon as an illustration. Because then the Bible says, Jesus begins to give an explanation of what he means. Okay? Get this. The scripture I just read to you is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Is that right? Now, if you go down a few verses, Jesus explains exactly what he means by fulfilling the law. Verse 21, Matthew 5, 21 says this. Look at this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder. That's the law. How many would agree the law says you can't murder? And whoever murders is in danger of the what? Verse 22. But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Oh, stop. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to what? Elevate it. Fill it to the brim. Magnify it to show the intention. And that's what Jesus is saying. The law says you cannot murder. But I'm elevating it. I'm saying you've got to watch your heart. Do you see that? Verse 27, look at this. Verse 27, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard of old, which is the law. Everybody say the law. 
You shall not murder or shall not commit adultery. Now look at verse 28. He elevates it. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hold on. Jesus is saying the law says don't murder. But I'm filling it to the brim and I'm telling you watch your heart. Don't be angry. The law says don't commit adultery. But I am bringing it up another level. I am magnifying it. And I'm telling you, you've got to be careful of the lust that's already inside of you, not just the act. In other words, you got the water? Jesus says, this is the law. The law says, you shall not murder. That's the standard. Hold it up. The standard is you shall not murder. I have not come to destroy the law. I have not come to do away with it. I have come to elevate it, fill it to the brim, and to magnify it to see the spiritual intention behind the law. Jesus says you shall not murder. Well, they say the law says you shall not murder, but then Jesus comes along and elevates the law and says, you've got to be careful of the anger in your heart. Better careful what you say to your brother. The law states that you shall not murder or shall not commit adultery. Jesus comes along and elevates it and makes it full and says, if you look at a woman to lust after, you've already committed adultery. He is elevated. He's taken it to a new level. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's not about behavior You've got to, I've got to elevate it to a new level. It's about the heart. Now, what are you saying? Look, 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 look. Jesus then said, Matthew 5, verse 38. But you have said, you have heard, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the law. But I tell you, go deeper than that. Don't resist an evil person. You see how he took it to a new level? Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus says, Matthew 5, 43, you have heard the law says you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the law. But I have come to elevate the law and I'm telling you, verse 44, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you. I have elevated it to a new level. So what are you saying, Pastor? I am saying this, that life in the kingdom of God is much different than the life in the world. I'm going to say that again. Life in the kingdom of God is much different than life in the world. Where do we get this idea that we can just act the way we want to act and think it's justified by Scripture when Jesus is saying, listen, that's what the law says, but I've come along to elevate it. I've come to bring it to a new level, and I'm telling you it's much deeper than doing the right things. You've got to get your heart in check. You've got to bring it to a new level. Look, look. Matthew 6.1, he goes on. Matthew 6.1. Take heed, you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by men. Other words, that's your reward. Jesus is talking about your desires now. Verse 4, Matthew 6, 4. He says, but when you pray, you go to your Father in secret. Now hold on. Jesus is saying you should pray, you should give, you should fast. You should pray, 
you should give, you should fast. That's the law. But here is, I'm elevating it. Go to your father in secret and be careful how you do it. He elevated it. It's how you do it now. It's not how long you do it. It's your attitude in which you do it now. You should pray. You should give. You should fast. But Jesus is saying, now I want you to go to in secret because I want you to know that this is a relationship with God and you've got to keep your heart in check. Matthew 6 and verse number 6, he says, and when you pray, you go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father in secret that your Father who sees in secret may reward openly. You see, Jesus said you should pray, should fast, should give. He says, but it's how you do it. What were they doing? Matthew 6, 2. This is what they were doing. Matthew 6, 2. They were sounding trumpets when they prayed. They were walking through the streets and letting everybody know that they were praying. Well, they should pray. That's the law. But Jesus elevated it and said, go a different level. Go to a different level. Go to a different level. Go in secret now and pray. I didn't come to do away with the law. I've come to magnify the spiritual intent of the law. I've come to bring the law to a different level. I have come to magnify and let you see behind the behavior. To let you see the spiritual intent by which you do the law. That's what I've come to do. So, it's not about fulfilling special days and Jewish festivals. That was the behavior. But the spiritual intent is, is to put God first during the week. You can eat bacon, you can eat shrimp, that's the law. But Jesus elevated it. What, what's the spiritual intent? Make sure you eat healthy. That's the spiritual intent of it. And I'll take a drink. Thank you. I'm almost done. So did you see what Jesus is talking about? Matthew 5.21, he talked about your attitude. Attitude. You can do the right behavior with the wrong heart. Then Jesus talked about your desires. Matthew 6. you got to pray right, pray in secret. Then Jesus talked about Matthew 6, verse 19. He talked about your ambitions. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Lay your treasures up in heaven. Matthew 7 verse, what, 7, verse 1. Do not judge unless you be judged. He talks about relationships. He talks about hypocritical relationships. It's okay to judge, Jesus said. Just make sure when you point your finger, you don't have the same sin in your life. That's to a different level. It's okay to judge, but don't judge somebody else if you have the same issue in your life. Don't you judge somebody else's speck when you got a blank in your own eye. Jesus says, judge them by their fruit, but I'm taking it to a new level. If you got the same sin in your life, don't be judging them because it'll come back to you. Do you see what Jesus is trying to do? Jesus is trying to shift their mindset. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 20, I'm about to shout here, 
This is so good. This is why Jesus said, listen, for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of God. What was the righteousness of the Pharisees? I give, I go to the synagogue, I tithe, I do good works, I don't sleep with somebody else that's not my wife, I don't murder. That's the righteousness of the Pharisees. But Jesus says, but grace is teaching you that not only should you not commit adultery, but you need to go to a new level and make sure it's not in your heart. Did you hear what this preacher said? You've got to exceed what the law is saying. It's not about just behavior. That is why the prophet said in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, he said, the prophet said in Deuteronomy verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your life. The prophet, get this church, the prophet prophesied that there's coming a day when God is not going to be concerned about certain things that you've got to do exactly right, but he wants to make sure that he circumcises your heart. In the Old Testament, they circumcised the flesh of a man. But in the New Testament, he is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and circumcise your heart. I can't commit adultery. i got to obey the law. But Jesus took it further. I've got to watch my heart. The fulfillment of the Old Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law is, is not just simply external conformity of commands, but rather it's a heart that's alive to God. So, should I tithe? The word tithe means tenth. And in the Old Testament, they didn't have currency like you and I have. They would give a tenth of their livestock. They would give a tenth of their produce of their farm. They would take it and they would go to the temple or the synagogue or the temple, especially in the Old Testament, they would give it to the Levitical priesthood. And the tenth was the first. They would take it the very first. The very first calf that was born was given to the temple. The very first produce and harvest season was taken to the temple. And it was given to the priest so that the priest could live and they could function in the temple. That was God's financial institution to take care of the temple and the priesthood. And the Levites, who was the priest, they didn't tithe like the other people tithe because their tithe took care of the temple. Now, if Jesus didn't do away with the law but brought it to a new level, if the law states that you must tithe, then how is it elevated? Yes, it's the heart. If they tithed under the Old Testament, if they tithed under law, then how much more should we be generous under grace?
Am I going to go to hell if I don't tithe? No. Are you cursed? No, because Jesus bore the curse. Are you going to burn in the flames of fire? Because I've been in those services. If you don't tithe, I've been in one service where I honestly felt the flames wrap around my ankles. And the preacher, his, 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 his big, uh, you know, you know his, his breath stunk anyway, but anyway, so he's, and he was, you know, he was pretty big and, you know, he was sweating and he was, you know, he was just being angry. If you don't tithe, you're cursed and you're going to, and you know what? I grew up under that. Where even to this day, I got a little folder that all my income that comes in, I make sure it's tithed to the penny. Now, even though I'm not going to go to hell, and if I miss three cents off of it, but that has been so ingrained in me that I thought I'd go to hell if I didn't tithe. The only thing that sends you to hell is your unbelief and unrepentant heart in Jesus Christ. This is called a spiritual discipline. And so the practice of this church is this. If they tithed under the law, then how much more should we be generous under grace? I believe that tithing is the starting point. It is not the ending point. That is why you should be growing in your giving. Tithing is the very least thing that you could do. That is where you start because Jesus has elevated it. It is a spirit of generosity. It's not about writing a check for $7.18 because that's my gross income and that's all you get, Jesus. Jesus, that's all you get. You're not going to get another penny from me because I've worked so hard. And we'll write our checks out, $7.18, because you're not getting any more, Jesus. Is that, is that what Jesus is really trying to institute? Should you tithe? Of course you should, because if they tithe under the law, how much more should you tithe under grace? How much? It's a starting point. It's not an ending point. In closing, you should give this way. You sh should have your gifts prepare, prayerfully prepared. What, what did the Bible say in 2 Corinthians verse 9? He said, he said, Paul said, I'm coming to you because you have prayed about your gift. That's what I just read to you a few minutes ago. He's talking to the church at Corinth and said, I'm going to Macedonia and I'm bringing your gift to them because you have promised it and you have prepared it. You see, when you come to church, you should pray about what to give. You should give your tithe and you should give above the tithe and you should pray about it. It shouldn't be just something, oh, the offering plate's coming by and I'm just going to throw in a $5 bill. Seriously, we focus more on our outfit on Sunday morning than we focus on the check that we write. If our heart is just to throw something in the offering when it passes by, then the Lord hasn't done what I'm talking about in your heart. This is a heart thing, folks. It's not an amount thing. It's not a certain amount. It's a heart thing. It's not a paper thing. It's a heart thing. And when you come to church, you should be praying about your gift. I've asked you on November the 4th to pray about your gift. 
I'm not out. I've given you plenty of time to pray about it. What could we do if we're all generous? What could we do if we all just obeyed the Spirit of God? What could we all do if we just listened to His voice? What could we do? The Holy Spirit will speak to somebody over here and say, you know, I want you to give this. And He will not ask you to give something that you're not able to give. It may stretch you. You say, well, Pastor, I've never given that much before. Well, welcome to what Jesus is trying to teach. He's trying to take us to the brim. He's trying to elevate it. He's trying to get your heart in a spirit of generosity. Paul said, I'm coming to receive your offering for the Macedonians because you have prayed about it. So when you come to church, you should pray about your gift. And then Jesus, or Paul said, he said, God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerfully contributed. Number two. Your offering not only should be prayed over, it should be cheerfully contributed. In other words, it's about the attitude. It's not just about giving, it's about the attitude in which you give. Are you giving with the right attitude? Do you know what the Greek word for cheerful is in the Greek? It is hilarious. The English word that we get hilarious. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody just gave in a hilarious way? Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody just got their tithe check and their offering, Sister Beaver, and they just laughed about it and they just worshiped the Lord about it instead of looking like you kissed your mother-in-law when you're mad and upset because a preacher's preaching on money for the fifth Sunday in a row. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to get in your heart and say, listen, you got to check the way that you give. Be excited about giving. Number three, reciprocally returned. He said, remember what he said? He that sows bountifully will reap what? He that sows will reap. So Paul even said that. That if you sow sparingly, you reap. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. In other words, don't get hung up on the adjective here. I want you to see that no matter what you sow, it's going to be returned back to you. I said, whatever you sow, it's going to be returned back to you. You can't outgive God. I'm telling you, if you put God to the test and you begin to put God first in your finances and you begin to go with a spirit of generosity with the right heart, I'm telling you, you will see God do things in your life that you never thought He would ever do. So how do I give? I give because I have prayerfully prepared my gift. I'm giving because I prayed about it. I'm giving because I'm giving with the right attitude and I'm cheerful about it. And I'm giving because I know that God always returns it. It's not a question of whether I should tithe. Jesus elevated it. Jesus taught us that it's more than just about a number. Jesus said it's a heart thing. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, I could preach on money and I could preach on generosity, but if it doesn't get in your heart, then it's just a dead sermon. It's just a preacher preaching on money. The Bible says in Exodus 35 that Moses took up an offering. Moses took up an offering, and what did the Bible say in Exodus 36? Verse number 6, look at this. Exodus 36, verse 6. Moses called a special offering, and then the Bible says, 
that Moses said, tell all the women to stop giving. Tell all the men to stop giving. For the people were restrained for bringing. Verse number 7, the material was sufficient for all the work that they had. Indeed, it was too much. Moses called an offering, a special offering. And it was too much. Moses said, it's too much. It's too much. Stop giving. Because folks, do you realize that there are miracles among us? We don't need somebody to come off the street to pay the church off. You know why we're here? Because God knew that we would have the resources enough to meet the vision. I said God knew that we would have the resources enough to meet the vision. How is the vision met? When so-and-so gives what they can, and so-and-so gives what they can, they may give sparingly, but another person will give bountifully. Some person may give a lot, and some person may give a little. But when everybody comes together, and we're all given with the right heart, we're given cheerfully, we prayed about it, I'm telling you, God will give back to us more than we could ever imagine. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stretch your faith. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? You say, well, pastor, I don't have it. You have it. Or he wouldn't ask you. It may hurt a little bit. It may sting your faith a little bit. But maybe the Lord wants you to grow in your giving. Maybe he wants to stretch your faith in your giving. Let's not build fences around our lives. Let's build a table. Let's be men and women who is not a reservoir, but is a river. Let's not be a container. Let's be a vessel that's poured out. It's not hoarded up. Can't take it with you. It's about the heart, folks. It's not about paper. It's not about buildings. It's about God is saying, am I number one in your life? Do you love me more than you love that paycheck? Are you willing to do something that's a sacrifice? If I ask you to give it, would you give it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to the rich young man, sell everything you got and give it away. The Bible says he walked away. For he was sad because he had great possessions. Money was his God. 